Welcome to the We Find Women podcast, a living playbook for gender lens investing across Africa. We capture the stories of women-led startups and those that are backing them. Welcome to another episode of We Fund Women. And today I am super excited to have Martha Hailey today, who was the CEO of Hello Tractor and now works as a vice president at one of the most biggest sort of agri-tech startups and exciting agri-tech startups on the continent called We Farm. Hi, Martha, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. It's good to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Good. I'm super excited. I think you know that I'm super excited just to have you on this call. Um, you know, it's very rare to kind of see incredible women work for two different high growth startups. Um, so I think you're definitely one of the rare treasures of Africa. And today, you know, this conversation is just to pick your brain around the lessons that you've learned along the way and some of the advice that you can share to other women who are looking to break in the space. Um, but I think before we get to all that, let's just take it back to the beginning. Could you tell us more about where you were born and, you know, even what were some of your earliest favorite childhood memories? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Let's take it all the way back. <laughs> so, I, so I was born in Rochester, New York. Um, so I'm from the U.S. And I was born to um, Eritrean immigrant parents. Um, and uh, they had arrived to the U.S. from Eritrea, I think in 1980. Um, okay. And then with my, with my older sister, who was two at the time. And then I was just born a year later. Uh, in terms of my favorite childhood memories, I mean, I, I, you know, it's where I grew up, it was kind of a small city um, yeah. and it was nice. It was on the lake, but I think some of my, and I had a great childhood. I think some of my most favorite memories are, you know, centered on, uh, you know, Eritrean culture. Like my, my parents made sure that I did not forget and did not know where you know where they came from where our lineage lineage is from um and they made sure that i understood yeah. the culture and the and the food so i think my you know my favorite memories are the weddings you know the gatherings where the parents would just let us run around like crazy at any yeah. age <laughs> and you know the fun thing is the eritrean community in the u.s and actually around the world would have uh, these festivals, which, you know, that's what we call them. And so every single August, we would take our car and drive all the way down to Washington, D.C. to attend the festival. And that's yeah. how the diaspora actually got together, at least on an annual basis. And it was it was it was awesome. Yeah, I can imagine. I uh, wish we could do that now, uh, but I think not only COVID has influenced that, but I think these experiences are different when you're the adult in the room, right, versus being a child and just being there for the sole purpose of having fun. Um, yeah. and, and, you know, so you studied in the U.S. and you had your first job in the U.S. Uh, yeah. So why move to, to Africa and particularly to Kenya and, and all the East African region, rather? So I... Yeah, you know, I did undergrad and grad school in the U.S. for the first about 12 years of my professional career. I was mostly based in Washington, D.C., and I was always focused, my work always focused on Africa, um, 
different sectors though. So, you know, my first job out of grad school was um, an organization called the Africa Society that was focused okay. on educating Americans about Africa. And from then on, um, I, you know, I did different, I dabbled in different areas, you know, governance work, consulting, management consulting. Uh, and I knew the entire time I wanted to actually work in the continent and um, I wanted to live in somewhere on the continent. And I think that just goes back to my upbringing. You know, I, yeah. I, was, I was Eritrean American and I didn't solely feel a connection with Eritrea. I really felt a connection with Africa. And many yeah. of my friends in DC, you know, come from all different backgrounds, Senegalese, Ethiopian, Eritrean, Ugandan, Haitian, you know, there was such a strong um, African diaspora and Caribbean diaspora in, in Washington, D.C. And there was always this yearning to go back to the to go back to the continent. And even if you hear me say I say go back to the continent, but I had yeah. only, you know what I only visited once. I only visited Eritrea once when I was 21, you know, oh, so wow. <laughs> so I never lived there. I didn't even really travel there, but I always knew I had to go back. And there was that powerful connection. Um, so yeah, I, I knew I wanted to go back. And so in 2015, with my now husband, we went to Nigeria to launch Hello Tractor. Uh, and it was the most incredible experience. Number one, Nigeria, I never thought I'd want to move to Nigeria just because you know there were so many comments um, yeah. about how hard it is to work and live in Nigeria. But to me, it was life-changing. Number one, it changed my perception of Nigeria. Um, but two, to, to run a startup, to launch a startup uh, in the country, uh, in a country that's so entrepreneurial, well, it was, you know, was life-changing and really set me in the direction of working at startups and working within the ag tech industry. Yeah. How did you adjust to some of the cultural elements? Um, so even, you know, the food and sort of the way, I guess, the social fabrics of society works. And, and was that hard for you or was it an easy transition once you got to Nigeria and then evidently to other countries within, within sub-Saharan Africa? Yeah, it was maybe easier than I thought it would have been. It was difficult. Like when we, so there's two there's two things. Number one, it was hard living in Abuja at the time. Um, there were a variety of um, kind of challenges that the country was facing, whether it's the first recession in over 20 years happened when I was there. Um, Ebola was an issue back then. Yeah. There was Boko Haram, there was elections. There were many reasons people were telling me, do not go to Nigeria. It's the worst time to go there. It's the worst time to stay there. But we went there and we stayed. And yeah. it was, you know, we didn't have power half of the time. Like, honestly, maybe half of the time we didn't have power, we didn't have water. So those elements, it made it slightly difficult to live there. But at the same time, I, we got through it, it like, and, and it was fine. You know, it was, it was a little bit easier to, to, to get through it than we had anticipated. Um, and from a cultural standpoint, I honestly, like, I, I grew up, I have a lot of friends from all around the world and I always feel a connection um, and with people from different cultures and I love learning about cultures. I was a history yeah. um, 
you know, I was a his, I had a history major in undergrad, so I love really to to dig deep and understand the culture, the music, the food. I mean, I ate so much jollof rice, <laughs> and and on a final on a final note, you know, like I feel like I I can connect with people all around the world. Funny enough. Um, one of our colleagues, he is Hausa, and he would he would play some like older Hausa music, and it yeah. sounds very similar to Ethiopian music. And so yeah. sometimes I'd go into the to the market, and I would assume it's like oh, it's like kind of like Ethiopian type music, but no, it's Hausa. And so there are so many connections <laughs> cross culturally that we may not we have no idea, you know. Yeah. But there's or the communal aspect of eating and you know, and just, you know, family is important. And there's so many more similarities than we assume and that we think about. So yeah, um, part of it, yeah. So just getting back to your question, um, part of it was, yeah, it was, it was difficult to adjust to a certain extent on the living side. Um, but, you know, we made so many different friends there and, and it, on the other side of things like socially and culturally, it was, it was easier than I would have anticipated. Yeah. And you briefly touched on it in terms of, you know, you're a history major, uh, you studied public, public policy as well, you have a consulting background, um, and, and yet you work in tech, right? So you have a very non-technical background, <laughs> yeah. and, and most people don't know yeah. that there are other roles other than sort of the, the hardcore tech, like development engineering roles in tech. What inspired your move into the startup yeah. environment, um, both on a personal level, I guess, and then even the way you think about your career? And then what are some of the other roles that you see increasing mm -hmm. women are taking up within the tech space that they might not be aware are even, you know, available, even exist? Yeah, it, uh, yeah, it's a really good question. Um, and one that I hear oftentimes, um, especially from some younger folks, I not only thought I was not a tech person because, you know, I'm 39, so tech, as we, we talk about it right now, it wasn't really the main, you know, industry that people were talking about when I, when I um, graduated from undergrad or grad school. You know, people were talking more so about finance and, you know, law, law and engineering. And so tech became a thing kind of in my later 20s, I think. Yeah. But even then, I never thought of myself as getting into tech. And honestly, I never thought I was going to work in the for-profit sector. <laughs> like I, I thought I was a nonprofit person, like through and through. So to a certain extent, I, I fell into it, you know, because um, my partner was launching um, an ag tech company. I learned more about it, and after a year of watching him build, you know, the idea and start pitching, we realized, and I, I realized that. Um, access to, to funds, to grants was, um, was something that I knew because that's kind of the background that I had um, yeah. in doing kind of grants management and fundraising on that side of things. And so I was applying that technical skill set or that skill set to um, Hello Tractor, to the startup. Yeah. And so over time, you know, and then we moved to Nigeria and over time I realized, you know, it doesn't, a company's organizations, there are some things that are just fundamental across, you know, whatever place you work. You need yeah. 
you know, you need to hire people. You need to have your finances in order. You know, you, know, you, need, to, you need to have bookkeeping. You need to do things like project management. And sometimes that can be, you know, product management or you know, management on the tech side. But sometimes you have a grant, you know, that you may, or a partnerships that you need to manage and yeah. you need to manage cross-functional teams. So honestly, I fell into the tech world. There, I had literally had no vision and <laughs> thought to get into it. There was no interest on my side, but it was more so I wanted to work in Africa. I have a partner that's doing startups. I'm going to apply some of my skills to support that startup and getting uh, grant funding in the beginning. And as I continued to work with him, I realized that I could apply many of my, my skill sets from management consulting, you know, from, from the nonprofit world, for sure, you know, into building kind of the operations of this startup. Um, yeah. And that, that blew my mind, you know, and it, it's, it seems so simple now, um, but many people don't know that, you know, focus, you don't have to focus so much on the industry. You can focus, what are your skill sets and how yes. can you apply it to different industries, different sectors, different environments, because there are certain things that are fundamental. Do you know how to write? Can you, you know, can you, can you write grants? Can you write proposals? Can you write business cases? There are different formats, there are different approaches, you know, and you know, some it's a learned skill, but if you're willing and you have a growth mindset, you can develop and you know, and uh, really become an expert in a lot of these different skill sets um, in the way that you need to for a tech startup. So yeah. um, just in terms of your second question, where I see women. Um, kind of in the tech or the startup scene, I feel like women are it's everywhere now. Like, you know, at, yeah. at my current company, uh, at WeFarm, we have women leading product um, on the product team, you know, on the operation side, on the people side, on the data side, you know, we have um, a head of data who's, you know, who's a woman. And so honestly, I don't, really see us being even pigeonholed really in certain areas yeah. now is that is that representative of the entire industry of course not i i know it's not i don't know the exact statistics but more and more you see women really um really entering into different uh, different types of teams across the tech industry um and also like you know for me as kind of the operations lead it's it's also great to see kind of women really stepping into this role within these tech startups because, yeah, you know, for tech in it of itself is not going to sustain a business. You need to have the operations to really be able to support your product, to support your, the talent, to retain that talent, um, to um, secure partnerships. And so it really takes a variety of skills and, you know, different teams to be able uh, to be successful as a company. Yeah, I think I'd like to sort of expand on that a little bit, um, because definitely the COO role is something that you've played both in Hello Tractor and in your current role and to a certain extent in, in WeFarm. What did you say are some of the critical skills that you were able to leverage from your consulting background or, you know, for people who are listening now that are not in the tech startup scene, probably have corporate jobs and they, they have hesitation on whether they can make it in sort of the startup world, right? And if they were interested in sort of assuming a COO or chief of staff role, what are some of the key skills that you think you've seen have, have played a huge impact in you being effective in your role and essentially growing the different startups that you've been a part of? So this is always a funny question. And I had this um, discussion the other day about the role of COO. 
the thing about <laughs> it is that it's it's it differs every every company you go to you yeah. know there are some fundamental um uh, similarities right and skills that a CEO has but they may be leading certain aspects of the business that one wouldn't put solely under operations like revenue yeah. you know or even people like people sometimes is uh sometimes the role it sorry the the leadership of the people or the HR function is under ops sometimes it's not it's separate you know it can be people yeah. operations in and of itself for me I think the really uh, a few key things where um, overall a couple of things. Number one, it's about kind of um, like performance tracking, um, but not just performance tracking, but it's really about strategy and understanding whether it's OKRs, but what are the goals and objectives at a company level? Um, and how does that, you know, filter down from company to, um, to your different teams, to different individuals? And how do you streamline that throughout the business? How do you ensure that everybody's kind of on the same page and understands um, what they're trying to achieve and how they're able to measure their own performance? And of course, how managers are able to, um, to be able to do that as well. Um, so yeah. I think that's one aspect. Um, another one, which... I didn't really think was a skill before, but now I know, especially during COVID, is cross-functional and for me, cross-cultural um, team management. And so, yeah. you know, through COVID, I mean, you, everybody knows this, but many people were working from home. So when you have dispersed teams, how do you ensure that the culture of the company kind of remains, you know, intact and that people feel valued, people feel included? Um, and people also are just able to speak and understand one another. And you can say that from a cross-functional perspective, how do you ensure that the way in which a product team works and operates, um, how does that integrate or how do they work closely with an operations team or go-to-market team, you know, account management team, really kind of ensuring that there's streamlined communications um, and that there's the teams are really just functioning as a unit. So being able to really connect those dots is really yeah. key for, for operators. Um, and there's a variety of other things, but I think the other aspects that, you know, I just mentioned was the cross-cultural um, team management. And this is really core and really important for operators that are working within Africa, you know, because many of these startups are global startups. And so, I'll, let me give you an example. Like I'm American and I'm now working in Kenya and many of our team at, um, at WeFarm are British. And yeah. I noticed that I never worked with like British colleagues before, but it's funny, you, every, from every country you come from, we all communicate differently. Like even, yeah. you know, I have to get used to British English, like writing British English. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or, you know, one way, in, you know, the way in which uh, British folks or Kenyans may voice displeasure or kind of push back, it can be yeah. completely different than the way that Americans do it. And yeah. so <laughs> there's like, you know, that there remains community, that there remains like really strong and effective communication across teams up and down, you know, your company, you have to work on that and you have to ensure that you have values and behaviors that you're not only, you know, it's not put up on the wall that people, but people believe in it, right? And that you're always 
kind of measuring yourself against those values and ensuring that are you being transparent? You know, are you being um, positive? Are you, you know, leaning into that and assuming that people are positive when they're writing certain things? Maybe don't write it similar to that if you're on Slack, as an example, right? In this dispersed yeah. world. Yeah. So anyways, I'll end on, on that note, but I do think that that is really, there's so many interesting discussions and even books coming out on it now because for some many companies, they're moving into hybrid. For us yeah. at Leaf Farm, we're, we are remote first now. And so we, oh, wow. we have to kind of be used <laughs> to the fact that, yeah, we're not going to have offices. So we have to yeah. that as we're working you know, asynchronously <laughs> and yeah. as we're working together like that um that we can do that effectively yeah no that's interesting um i think just seeing some of the transitions right that that COVID obviously has has changed a lot of the way we see productivity at work we see how we kind of can collaborate and what we define as culture as well um so it's interesting even in an african context that a lot of startups and and corporates as well are, are becoming remote first but you write in that then that means that the nature of certain positions also changes right in terms of how you manage performance effectively um so that's quite an interesting insight and I think, you know, one of the other things I would like to get your perspective on your personal opinion, and this can also be anecdotal as well, is whether you feel there has been sort of any added advantage to you being a woman and mm -hmm. sort of, you know, the view of the world that you have or the lens of the world that you have being a woman in the tech space that has, you know, provided additional benefits for you or an added advantage in the way you're able to kind of solve for some of the challenges versus, you know, other men or just versus the fact that the tech world is such a male dominated industry in its own? Yeah, that's a really, I mean, it's, it's a good question. It's an interesting question. I do, I think there's, I would say yes, because I think okay. that, yeah, I think that diversity of opinion, diversity of experience and perspective helps all teams. Yeah. Because, and this is, you know, and I've had to learn this over time and I, you know, I, I chat about this with my girlfriends and, and other folks, but when you really start to believe in yourself and know that you're there and you're anywhere, you're at the table, you, you are where you are for a reason, then you start to trust your voice more. And something yeah. that I like to tell folks is no matter where you are at the business, your voice matters, like your perspective matters. And oftentimes people, some, you know, sometimes, you know, I can't say oftentimes, <laughs> but sometimes people just don't believe in themselves, you know, and they don't believe in their voice and they may think that an insight that they have or an opinion that they have is not relevant, but it is, it could be, you know, it sh and it should be voiced. And so for me, I've always felt that, I've always felt like an outsider and and I feel like feel, when you feel like an outsider, it can be isolating, but on the other yeah. side of it, it's you come with such unique perspective that yeah. you just need to have the courage and the confidence to be able to speak on that perspective. Because even though you may assume other people already know it or that they don't care, guess what? Oftentimes people are listening, you know, yeah. and you could be dropping gems. And if you don't voice it, who is going to hear that gem? It's going to just go silence into the abyss, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and so just, I, you know, that to me, I guess that answers the question, but 
from as a woman, yes. But in many different places I've been throughout my entire life, because I've always felt like an outsider, you know, I was the daughter of immigrants, or I would be always in um, in places where nobody looked like me, you know, yeah. and it can, you know, it, it can be scary, but I was like, okay, you know, but my perspective matters because I'm viewing this differently. Yeah. Uh, you know, many, many farmers in Africa are women. So yeah. what is a woman's perspective about these products? And to end, it's not always just about your perspective, right? And your voice, but it's about, you know, that, you know, if you're an outsider and you have a different perspective and you should allow the space and create a space to bring in more voices because it shouldn't yeah. just be yours, you know? And you know that because based on your kind of experience, I know that based on my experience that yeah. my perspective is important, but guess what? I bet you there are a lot of voices here that are not being heard either. Yeah, yeah. Wow. What you've said is so profound. And I think it really touches on one of my core, you know, missions and passions, um, just based on a lot of studies. And I think Mackenzie's sort of the thought leader in the space, right, in terms of how women tend to not raise their hand up or tend to not, you know, speak up, right, because they second guess mm -hmm. themselves. So they're kind of their biggest critics. I'm interested to know in your own personal journey and your own progression, right, um, how did you get to that space where you were comfortable enough to know that your voice matters was it more internal reflections was it that the space or the external environment allowed for your voice to be heard um and and, and sort of what are your learnings in terms of really you know speaking up a lot more yeah so I think it's both internal and external number one I'm still I still get nervous sometimes in voicing my opinion it could yeah. be you know it I don't know what environment and it's not as much as before, but there are still those moments. And yeah. it, you know, part of it is learned, you know, experience. You know, you just, you just have to speak. That's what I used to tell myself. <laughs> yeah. Actually, let me give you this example. When I was in college, I remember I was a freshman in a poly sci course, and everybody else was a sophomore except for me. I was in a brand new place, six hours away from home. It was very, it was a different state just different culture everything was different and on the very first day the professor said don't ask dumb questions <laughs> so <laughs> as, a, as a freshman you know a fish out of water I was thinking to myself who are these people this everybody's just so different here I was I wouldn't speak and if I had to speak I would physically shake you know my yeah. hand would shake and I was quiet. I, you know, and when I moved to DC, DC is a place where, you know, it's head of government, the, you know, Congress is there and, you know, there's lots of networking, lots of happy hours. And the thing that you learned, I learned from my environment, from people I was around was that you had to put yourself out there. You had yeah. to, back in those days, shake people's hand and say, <laughs> I, you know, <laughs> I am this person. And that was also where I wanted, I wanted to do that. I wanted to be, be that person that could speak with confidence. And because I knew where I wanted to get, I, yeah. you know, inside, like, I feel like, you know, I am, I feel like there's so much, I have so much potential in this world and I need to provide that value and that contribution to the world. And we all do. So innately, I knew yeah. that. And I knew that because that's what my parents told me as I was growing up. 
And so to your the second part of your question about the external environment too, yeah, that's so important, you know, and it's especially kind of in these leadership roles or management roles, something that we talk about a lot at WeFarm is how do we ensure that we have a, a space in a company that is transparent, that is um, people understand that they're valued and that their voice matters. So that bit on inclusivity is something that we talk about a lot. I talk about a lot with, you know, folks on the senior leadership team, because yes. I remember when certain places where I didn't feel like that. Yes. And so it can't just be you as a person, you have all this confidence, you believe in yourself because you'll get into environments where people will shut you down. And if you're in those types of environments where people don't really care about your voice, you know, and your contributions, no matter how strong you are, it's going to be difficult. Yeah. And so, you know, I, I do think it's really important that, yeah, that we focus on creating that environment for everybody else, because, you know, that's, again, like, to me, that's how you go further as a company. And I'm yeah. sorry, I think I actually missed, you asked, you asked one more question. No, 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 it was, no, I think it was spot on in terms of just your <laughs> own personal journey, both in the internal and external. I think you've covered that yeah. quite quite beautifully. Um, I know throughout the conversation, we've sort of talked about your roles in Hello Tractor and WeFarm, and I recognize yeah. that some people might not even know what WeFarm does, right? Um, yeah. So could you just, you know, speak to sort of what WeFarm is, what your current role mm -hmm. within WeFarm is, and then why mm -hmm. choose the agri-tech space and not other, another industry? Yeah, sure. So WeFarm is, uh, is a, we've built a community um, of farmers, um, a platform for farmers to be able to, to speak, to engage with each other, no matter where they're located. So we were focusing, we're focusing on East Africa. And it's important to understand that for farmers, particularly small scale farmers um, across Africa and across this region in particular, you know, they're fragmented and they're, they're dispersed. And so um, we wanted to be able to create a community where they could speak to one another and share the knowledge and experience and expertise that they have with one another. And through this community, they've been able to be able to share that expertise. And we connect this community of farmers to our retail network um, so that they're able to access quality inputs. So we're really trying to tackle the issue of, you know, for, for agriculture, this lack of access to information and lack of access to, to inputs, it really hinders the ability of agriculture to thrive and to grow and to, to be the, the industry that we know it can be, but there are some legitimate barriers that prevents farmers from being able to be as successful as possible. And so for us, that information that, and that access to inputs is really is, is critical for them to be able to to be um, economically successful. And so that's that's what we're doing with them. In terms of why Agtech for me, again, I kind of fell into it, but the reason <laughs> I stayed into it, but the thing is I've stayed in, you know, I've been here for like yeah. six plus years now. And, as, and I'm always proud to tell people, and I, <laughs> I don't know if this is cheesy, but I'm not going anywhere. I love yeah. working within Ag. You know, I, I truly believe in what we're doing and there, there are a variety of reasons for it, but a couple of, maybe let me give you two. One, agriculture, is, it's like, it's, it's earthy, it's in your hands. It's people plant a seed and they grow a crop. 
you know, and that's just powerful to me. It's just, you know, I don't know. It's just that connection to the earth um, and the connection to the millions of farmers all around, all around the world that are doing this, right. To be able to sustain our nutrition, these agricultures are feeding the entire world. And it's an industry that, you know, is not going to go anywhere. It's going to transform in different ways. And there's all these innovations, but we're always going to have to be able to eat. Um, And so for me, it's part of it is just, I'm so fascinated by it, but also the opportunity in it is vast. It's not going anywhere. It's, it's a, you know, there's, there's so much room for opportunity um, that to me, it's, it's a great industry to be in because I both feel very connected to it, but also because I just feel like there are unending opportunities for me me to be able to grow and to contribute to and to learn from. And yeah. the, the other side of it is I'm a black woman and many of the farmers across Africa are black women. Yeah. And literally Africa could feed the world. And yet there are so many just huge barriers and challenges that are affecting and afflicting the farmer population across this continent. And, you know, going back to what I said earlier about, I've always felt this connection to Africa because my family is here. And so to me, this population needs to be involved in the products and, you know, in all of these innovations, they need to be actively more included in that. And we need to be able to also provide them with better products and services so that they're not making one or $2 a day, but really that they're able to be more successful and be able to even contribute more. And so that, you know, I don't, I used to be in international development and it was always about, you know, the reason I was there is because I wanted to help change the world and give, you know, provide value to the world. Yeah. And um, so to me, there's just that connection of, you know, they need our support. And to me, I see myself in them. I see like my family members in, yeah. in, in those women. And so to me, it's just a natural, like, this is my way of trying to do some good in the world. Yeah, no, understood. And, and I definitely think agriculture is one of those, you know, sectors that I guess becomes a competitive advantage for sub-Saharan Africa, right? Um, because we do have a lot of natural resources, a lot of arable land, and we really haven't figured out how do we leverage that appropriately to compete internationally. Um, so I definitely think the power of technology to kind of accelerate our progress to that is quite exciting. So hopefully this podcast would also inspire a lot of other smart minds to kind of enter the space and solve some of the, the, the challenges that, you know, face smallholder farmers today. Um, and then yeah. I think, you know, one of the other interesting things is that you've obviously kind of seen the funding journey for Hello Tractor, both from, as you mentioned, leveraging your background in terms of making sure that you're able to leverage a lot of grant funding instruments, but also I'm sure there was some kind of VC or debt funding involved as well. And then even now being a part of WeFund, which has raised over 30 million US dollars. Um, what are some of the interesting insights that you have around fundraising in general and how we can begin to think about closing that funding gap that exists, particularly for women-led ventures? Yeah. <sighs> closing the gap. I know it's a hard one. <laughs> um, but, I, I think I, I should do. turn this back around and ask you, Hope. Uh, I think you probably <laughs> are going to answer it. You know, I don't... 
from from my vantage point, being at both of these companies, I think number one, I think the time, I, you know, VCs and a lot of funders are starting, not starting, they have been, and they're starting to try to, I think, um, close that gap. Yeah. Um, and one of the things that I've, I've found to be very powerful, there's, there's, I guess there's two things. Um, one is storytelling. How are you telling your story? Yeah. When, we started, when we started at Hello Tractor, it was hard. We would get so technical or we would dive too deep or we would just automatically say, you know, um, you know Uber for tractors. And it, we, it took us many years to, to really figure out what was the best way to tell our story. Yeah. And even the way that we farm has been able to do it has been just masterful, you know? And so storytelling is such a key part of funding and getting access to funding, whether it's, you know, uh, equity debt, you know, all these different instruments, even grant funding, you know, um, I, th I think it's really important. And being able to tell a story to the, who's your audience? Everybody's viewing, ag and, and ag tech in different ways you know they yeah. have different interests in it and for example right now people are very much interested in climate smart agriculture you know or um there's it's just different every every couple of years there's a new interest um in how agriculture and how these different types of ag tech innovations can really support farmers across the continent so being able to tell your story i think really authentically um but you know, being smart and strategic about it in terms of how are you able to identify and match what you're doing to the interests of some of your audience, you know, who, your different yeah. audiences. I think that that's really key. Um, yeah. I, I said I had two points. I think that's number one. And then I think number two is, it's, I guess it, 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 it kind of piggybacks, piggybacks off my last point, but you know, it's always, it, there's different types of funding to go after, after and, or you don't go after any VC funding, you know? And yeah. I think that really getting good advisors and yeah. really learning the language of funding is, is important. Really get in the weeds of how are people talking or pitching their businesses to the different types of investors and funders. Um, because, and it goes back to storytelling, but they may completely bypass you. You know, even if you have this great idea, you have great metrics or you're making a lot of headway, but if you're not able to speak the language of whoever's doing the investing, I think that is um, that can be a, a bit of a challenge and so that's something that I think that ties kind of back into even um, the storytelling aspects. But I think that those are kind of the two key things that I've noticed and learned. Yeah, I think I like what you highlight in terms of the language, right? Because outside of sort of the technical terms that we use in VC or even in, in sort of the debt space or grant funding space, I definitely think language plays a role in how you're also being perceived, right, as a founder when you're pitching your business. So as earlier we were talking about, you know, the difference between talking to people from 
like with the British accent, right, to Kenyans and sort of those cultural or social elements that are embedded in the way people communicate. I think, you know, that's also a big part of sort of what happens in fundraising, right? Um, one part of it obviously is, is, is investors on the one side trying to understand an opportunity, but then starting to build that trust and that relationship, which I think it's, can we understand each other and, and sort of speak the same language? And definitely, I think that's one of the areas as well that, you know, I think people need to be cognizant of as they fundraising. So I love how you mentioned it because you've obviously been on the other side of the table, but also think just from receiving pitch decks or talking to different individuals, um, that language is super crucial um, in, in, mm -hmm. in the ability of people to actually really get the core of what you're trying to accomplish, but also starting to build trust throughout the investment process or throughout multiple touch points over the the course of your your startup um yeah. so thank you for highlighting that i think it's a very interesting <laughs> insight um so yeah so i know we you know close to uh wrapping up and i think this question is just really more again on a personal standpoint right so you've accomplished quite a lot and i think your profile is amazing and you know I, I wonder when you look at the things that you've done um the work that you've done over the years what are you most proud of what am I most proud of? Um, good question. <laughs> I, I think, actually, I know. I know what I'm most proud of is that I'm in the game. I'm, yeah. not, I'm not sitting on the sidelines thinking about how to get in. I'm yeah. just an active part of it. And that's the hard part. Because yeah. <laughs> you're you're so much closer to failure when you're actually playing, right? Yeah. And and I think that you know over time I've you know I've experienced you know failures that you know especially just in the beginning stages. Man, when we were building Hello Tractor, like you know you pivot, you fail, and those lessons are invaluable. And yeah. It, I think what Nigeria did in the beginning stages of Hello Tractor, it strengthened my backbone. And I wasn't as scared of failure and I wasn't as scared of playing and being an active participant in the game and yeah. you know, being open to, to, I don't know. You know, I think we all fear all sorts of different things like negativity and just failure and you know, you're not good enough, you're questioning yourself. But when you actually get in the game and you just keep moving step-by-step, that's that's to me is the excitement um i don't even look yeah. down the road of you know what's gonna happen in five years and ten years i just i really believe in what i'm doing and i enjoy the day-to-day -day of it yeah and that's what really matters right um being able to to be in it i think life is quite short or long depending on the perspective that you have but definitely yeah. just doing what you love, learning, growing, and trying to make an impact. And I think you've done that quite well. And I honestly cannot wait to see um, much more of the impact that you're going to drive across the continent. Um, which brings me to my last question, right? And I think being in the agri-tech space, you probably know that partnerships are the fabric with which the, the, the sector thrives on. What are the areas that you are open to collaborating on and how can people reach you? So, I mean, anybody can reach me on LinkedIn. Um, I'm getting much more active. <laughs> um, so yeah, people people are interested in talking to me about, you know, either company, entrepreneurship, any of this stuff. Yeah, please feel free to, to reach out to me there. Um, and in terms of partnerships, um, again, like if 
if you think that, I guess there's a few things. Number one, if you think that there's any type of partnership for, you know, for either company, like We Farm or Hello Tractor, because I can connect you with the founders and the team at Hello Tractor, feel free to reach out. Something that I would also love, just as on, in my personal time, is also like more of a of a connection of the folks that are kind of the the leaders and the the movers in regards to agriculture okay. globally, especially women. I'm really interested in that um, because, and I think you may have mentioned this before. I'm not sure, but you know, we talk a lot about women in tech, but also women in ag. And yes. I would love, I would actually love to see more of a network there. Yeah. And so, um, I'm, I would, yeah, I would love to see that. So if people are working on it, please feel, feel, feel free to know if you, or if you have ideas, we can always brainstorm. Yeah. No, yeah. I'm always, I'm always happy to, to reach out to folks and hope I'm, you know, I know you're about to end it, but I just want to say you're great at this. This is fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> thank, thank you so you. much. I'm still learning, but I think, you know, <laughs> I'm only as good as the, the guests that I have. Um, so really, really want to say thank you. This is super insightful. Um, and, and, and I just love your energy, the different insights that you have and the passion that you have. I think it really comes across quite strongly. So thank you, thank you, thank you so much for spending an hour with us and, and sort of sharing some of those lessons uh, with everybody that will be listening to this. So thank you so much, everyone. And you can you know see more information on how to get in touch with Martha um, right in the description below. And yeah, that's a wrap. Thank you so much. Thank you. Cool. So I've